You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Former Vice President Joe Biden makes it official. He's officially running for president. But how are Democrats reacting? This is Anita Hill. Remember her? She gave an interview to the New York Times. And can the former vice president win back the voters who candidate Donald Trump convinced to go from Democrat to Republican? We take you to western Pennsylvania and Ohio, key battleground portions of the electorate, that Biden will have to win if he can survive that Democratic primary first. And breaking news tonight in Baltimore, where federal law enforcement agents have descended upon the city, raiding City Hall as Mayor Catherine Pugh's house and other locations There's an investigation into her business dealing. Can she survive? We hear from a reporter on the ground. But first, reading now from the reporting of Luke Broadwater, as well as his colleague Ann Duncan, reporting in the Baltimore Sun. Federal law enforcement agents fanned out Thursday across Baltimore, raiding City Hall, the home of embattled Mayor Catherine Pugh, and several other locations as the investigation into the mayor's business dealings widened. Joining me now on the telephone line from Baltimore is Luke Broadwater. He has been all over this story, and we are thrilled that he is able to join us. What is the latest? Can Mayor Catherine Pugh hold on? Well, uh, pretty much everybody across the city is calling for her to resign. The entire city council has called for her to resign. The entire delegation to the uh, House of Delegates from Baltimore has called for her to resign. The business community, the governor of Maryland today called for her to resign. Uh, she has taken a leave of absence. She's been on a leave of absence since April 1st. Um, the city council president is acting as mayor, running the government. Um, she's largely been in her house the whole time, and she was there today as the FBI came in and hauled out boxes and boxes of her uh, Healthy Holly books and other documents um, and, and, and took them away as part of their investigation. Uh, we now know the investigation has gone federal. 
Uh, before today, we knew there was a state investigation and a local investigation. Now we know the feds are involved as well. And the feds were in and out of City Hall going through um, the mayor's office and other, uh, in other rooms uh, retrieving documents. So this, is, um, this investigation continues to expand. I mean, this, this investigation is wild. I mean, she's, she's the author of these books called Healthy Holly, and essentially she's being accused of funneling this money to the University of Maryland medical systems uh, and, and while she was uh, serving on its board of directors, and, and she was using this money to, to do what? So um, the uh... – <sighs> She had an arrangement with several entities that do business with the city of Baltimore to buy hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of her self-published children's books, um, which, you know, as John Oliver pointed out, uh, misspelled the word vegetable. Um, <laughs> they, uh, um, in all, we have tracked at least $800,000 worth of payments to her for these books, and we wow. do know that m- many of the books were never produced. Um, From her time in office? So she got 800000 while she was serving as mayor. Well, it, it started while she was a state senator and then carried on into her term as mayor. And we also know that thousands of the books are sitting in boxes unread in a warehouse. Um, so they were never distributed to uh, children at all. Um, so uh, th- th- those are the, that's the crux of the uh, investigation. Since then, um, it has stand out into some other um, aspects of her business uh, dealings. She has quite a few different LLCs and connections to some nonprofits. And so there's really no telling where it may go from where it starts and how many people may be swept up in it. But, um, but yeah, the, uh, the, the origin of the state prosecutor's investigation was this deal with the University of Maryland Medical System and the mayor for... Uh, 100,000 copies of her children's book. Luke Broadwater, he is a political reporter for the Baltimore Sun. He has been all over this story into the embattled Baltimore mayor, Catherine Pugh, who is facing calls for resignations tonight from an intensifying group of Maryland lawmakers as the investigation turns to the FBI into whether or not she was using her self-published children's book, dubbed Healthy Holly, uh, to, to, to make $800,000 worth as an elected official using the government to, to, to take this money, to make purchases of this book, some of which these books, as we're learning through Luke and others' reporting, didn't even make it into where they were ultimately supposed to be up to. Uh, Luke, before I let you go, because I know you got to get back to reporting, but before I let you go, what's next? Where, where does this story go? What's the next 24 hours look like for, Mary Catherine, or for Mayor Catherine Pugh? Well, it's, it's interesting. We do have a couple stories about ready to publish, but I don't think I can break them on the air. But uh, suffi- suffice it to say that, that this is not going anywhere. Um, it is. <laughs> My producer um, just said, "Why not?" Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's it's not going anywhere. There are several more shoes to drop, and it's going to continue for for months and months. Um, you know, we, uh, you know, putting the investigation aside for a moment. I mean, we have a. You know, this we have an acting mayor now running the city. He's untested. We'll see how he does. There's an election coming up. You know, Mayor Pugh had been kind of a, a very heavy favorite to win re-election up until this scandal broke, and now it's going to be a wide-open field to see who's going to run the city of Baltimore. 
And um, so there's a lot of political fallout and municipal fallout as well. And a lot of people are feeling uneasy and uncertain about the direction of the city right now. And um, so there's there's sort of a civic fallout as well. Um, that said, we <laughs> stay tuned, and you're going to see uh, some more breaking news in, in, in the coming hours. So. Luke, yeah. I, I know you got to run, but make sure you stay in touch with our producer, Christine Murata, because call in tomorrow. We want to follow this story very carefully, uh, and we appreciate your time. Uh, based upon Luke's reporting, I do want to read this statement from uh, Mayor Pugh's attorney, Stephen Silverman, uh, who issued this statement, which says, we will, quote, we will continue to vigorously defend the mayor who is entitled to the presumption of Innocence, end quote. This is just another example of why local reporting, uh, newspaper, city reporting is so incredibly crucial to transparency at every every level of uh, uh, of government. Uh, our thanks to our our, our uh, colleagues at the Baltimore Sun, and of course to Luke Broadwater for making the time. Coming up. Joe Biden, he enters into the race, an all-star panel with me in studio to break it down. Kristen Hans here, a Democratic strategist, and Doug High, Republican strategist. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can check us out on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You are listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. It's always a good day with The Boss. The Boss is releasing a new album for the first, his first album, Bruce Springsteen's first album in five years. I know Doug High is ready for that. He, of course, is a Republican strategist with me for the hour, former RNC communications director and former deputy chief of staff to House Majority Leader Eric Cantor. Are you ready for Bruce? I am. I thought it was terrible that Joe Biden would step all over the spring season. Wow. Wow. And also with us is Kristen Hahn. She's a Democratic strategist. Uh, Also the former Blue Dog Coalition communications director right up Biden's Allie. Uh, she is a senior advisor at Rock Solutions. And you just launched a new, well, not new, but uh, several months ago now, ramping up a new events uh, portion of, of their portfolio, the Well News. Yes, we did. We did. And it's it's interesting. It's kind of where, where business meets Congress and where uh, Republicans and Democrats are working together. And, and I know a show done. where we I talk know, all crazy. about that. And <laughs> I feel like I feel like this is the perfect hope. I, I believe I, I believe so. All right. So Joe Biden, the former yep. VP, Aviator Joe. Yep. He's going to give a big rally in a couple of weeks, really. I mean, May, right? May 18th is this mm-hmm. is this rally in Philly, my neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. All right. How is his rollout? I, I thought they'd done a great job. Um, you know, he had a call with some some uh, donors. You know, I think that everything's going well. I think he's handled a lot of the criticisms well. And for me, as a moderate, I'm excited to see somebody get into the debate that is not pulling everybody, you know, far to the left. So um, I think it's going to be healthy. I'm glad he's here. Doug? Yeah, I thought the video was really interesting. It emphasized what you might not have expected him to. I thought it was a mm-hmm. very smart play for African-American voters, specifically African-American women, who not only are broadly um, a big deal, a big part of uh, the Democratic electorate, but specifically in South Carolina. You know, you have to start and look at, okay, where is he going to do well and maybe not do well? South Carolina is an opportunity for him. And I thought leading with the Charlottesville message 
uh, was a smart thing to do. Headline in the New York Times, however, says Joe Biden expresses regret to Anita Hill, but she says, I'm sorry, is not enough. Reading the reporting of J. Mart, Jonathan Martin, and Cheryl Gay Stolberg, quote, former Vice President Joe Biden called Anita Hill earlier this month to express his regret over what she endured testifying against Justice Clarence Thomas in the 91 SCOTUS hearings that put a spotlight on sexual harassment. That according to a Biden spokesperson. But Ms. Hill in an interview on Wednesday said, quote, I cannot be satisfied by simply saying I'm sorry for what happened to you. I will be satisfied when I know there is real change and real accountability and real purpose, end quote. All right, Kristen, I mean, he releases this video clearly making a play at what is perceived to be a political liability. Then you've got this New York Times. You know, is, yeah. is Joe Biden being held to a different standard than some of these other candidates who have entered into the race? I, I mean, I don't know. I think, first of all, Joe Biden, and I think a lot of the attacks on him, speaking as a woman, and I take, I take you know, allegations of sexual harassment very seriously, um, you know, we're politically motivated and we're, you know, blown a little bit out of proportion. He's got 50 years of, of a career to defend, and, and that's that's decades of progress. But he has been at the helm, at the forefront of progress, both in Congress and for women's rights, um, you know, for years. So, yes, I mean, it is a political liability. They clearly know that. Um, and he's addressed it addressed it head on. All right, let's talk policy. Because, as you mentioned, he's got that record. He served on a host of different financial committees. He was a senator from Delaware. This came back, uh, I don't want to say to haunt, I mean, it really depends on which angle you're looking at it from, but his record on financial services as well, just given Delaware's prominence in the financial services industry, how is that going to play, Doug, against the likes of Senators Warren and Sanders? Yeah, not well. I think the worst thing a politician can have, unfortunately, is a record. And a lot of that is from the 1980s and 1990s, where the Democratic Party and Joe Biden certainly were at a very different place than they are now. So banks, not popular in the Democratic. Glass-Steagall. Exactly. Not mm-hmm. popular in the Democratic world, unless you're from Delaware. Um, if you look at the crime bill that was passed in, in 1995, 1996, where Joe Biden joked that this would send everybody, to, you know, this would apply the death penalty to everything but jaywalking. Not popular with where the Democratic Party is now. Anita Hill and the Me Too movement, same thing. This is going to be a real problem for Biden moving forward and also makes it hard for him to say that he's the candidate for the future. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. He's going to have – nobody else has. You've got these young – you know, the candidates that do not have don't have a record. Um, and it, it definitely is a liability for him, I think, going forward, particularly um, where financial services is concerned. He's still, without question, the front runner. He's got access to the Obama world donor class. He's also got uh, even beyond that, uh, you know, this name recognition. And he's the front runner. And he was asked about this uh, earlier today in Wilmington, Delaware, about being the front runner. Take a listen to this exchange. It's real early. I tell you what, the issue is going to be who, uh, not only who can uh, win this, but who's the best person to lead the country. And uh, that's what it's going to be all about. And it's going to be for the voters to decide that. It's going to be for the voters to decide that. I, I just got to be candid here. I, when I think of former Vice President Joe Biden, I think of off the cuff. I think of Scranton, Pennsylvania. I think of someone who wants to break out of the political norms and be able to be unscripted. So I was a little bit surprised. 
I was a little bit surprised to see such a scripted video message. And I want to hear from him. I want him to, you know, be on the stump. I don't even want to see like a network interview. I want to hear from him. I want to see him interacting with voters. I want to see. Yeah. I want to. I want to. I, want I to think like, he will. Yeah. I think he will. I mean, like anybody who's been to a Biden rally. I mean, I mean, I went to a couple when he I mean, he was one of the we would invite him to come to rallies for Blue Dogs and like our plus districts and in in uh, Pennsylvania and mm-hmm. it was amazing he could turn a crowd you know that didn't think they liked him when he walked in and he still has that ability he's not going to get rid of that and just quickly coming up we're going to talk more about this we're also going to dive into trade policy but I, I thought that the handling of the the brash of headlines with the smelling of the hair from from yester week I thought him joking about that I thought was uh, joking about that in an audience of union workers mm-hmm. I thought showed a savviness about him and how he will use his unscripted nature potentially to his advantage. I thought that that showed that his political instincts are still very much in tune with Scranton and Youngstown, Ohio, which we talk about a lot on this show. Uh, And I'm going to be interested to see how that plays, especially when we get – it's still early, but (laughs) patience, Kevin. It's a marathon, not a sprint. When we get more into this race. Coming up, we dive into policy, particularly on trade. Panel stays, Kristen Hahn, Doug High. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, and you are listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Rough day for the Baltimore mayor, Mayor Pugh, Mayor Catherine Pugh of Baltimore, FBI officials raiding her city council as well as her home. It all comes down to her children's books. Have you been following this story? It is wild. Now this investigation goes federal, national, as everyone's calling on her to resign. She had these books called Healthy Holly Children's Books, and she was pushing them to, to government contracts in, in Maryland, $800,000 worth. We're going to be following that very carefully. She's been sick with pneumonia, calls out sick for the last couple of weeks with pneumonia. She's denying all of these accusations that are being made against her. There's an acting mayor who's uh, serving in Baltimore, but everybody, including the governor, Larry Hogan, who may or may, not, may or may not challenge Trump in a primary on the Republican side, He's calling on her to resign, too. Fascinating story. Fascinating story. I'm hooked on it. Uh, Another big number of the day, Uber. 
If you followed Uber, they're aiming for an IPO valuation for as much as $90 billion, according to people familiar with the matter, that headline crossing the Bloomberg terminal by my colleagues, Olivia Zaleski and Eric Newcomer. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm joined in studio here in Washington, D.C. by an all-star panel, Kristen Hahn, Democratic strategist, former Blue Dog Coalition Communications Director, now she's a senior advisor at Rock Solutions, and Doug High, he is a Republican strategist, former RNC Communications Director, and former Deputy Chief of Staff to the former House Majority Leader, Eric Cantor. Thank you both for being here. We were talking about how former Vice President Joe Biden's re-entry into the race resets the crowded Democratic field. And on issues pertaining to his financial record, he's largely seen as more of a centrist. But how will he compete for that populist vote in this populist era especially against the likes of Senator Bernie Sanders. Take a listen to what Senator Sanders had to say about President Trump, as well as his Democratic presidential challenger, Joe Biden. Joe Biden is a friend of mine. Joe and I disagree on many, many major issues. I look forward to a issue-oriented campaign where we discuss the important issues facing the American people. But this I am confident of is that at the end of the Democratic primary, whether I win, whether Joe wins, or whether anybody else wins, we're going to see Democrats come together to defeat the most dangerous president in the modern history of this country, which is President Trump. So that was Bernie Sanders, Kristen. He's Mm -hmm. playing nice. When did the gloves come off? Shortly. You know the biggest difference between Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden? What? The fact that Bernie Sanders has been in the Senate for how many years and has never accomplished a thing. Oh, people would disagree. His no. supporters, I can, they're he, driving know, off the road. No, they are, they're they driving are, off the road. This they're is in their cars. He, they're honking he's, horns. He's pure. He's ideological. It's because he's never compromised. It's very easy to sit in your ideological corner and not do anything. And what Joe Biden has done is the exact opposite. He's actually worked with people across the aisle, worked with people in his own party to actually move progressive policies forward. Yeah, look, I, I think this is part of the divide that Republicans have had, basically, to, de- to determine, you know, what is principle and what is attitude. And, well, we resolved that three years ago, two, two years ago, by saying, well, this is attitude. Um, that's, part of the de- that's part of the fight that Democrats are going to continue to have, whether it's Congress with their own kind of House Democratic Freedom Caucus uh, that's going to make more and more news, talk or noise, talk more and more about impeachment, which isn't really about legislative solutions to issues per se. Uh, that's going to spill into um, the presidential election as well. And, and that's where we'll find out whether Democrats want to be pure or whether or not they want to win. And, you know, those two may very much be mutually exclusive. You know, we're on the eve of the Milken conference next week, uh, where virtually everyone from the economic circles that, that all of us uh, discuss with and, and engage in discourse with, and we're also on the eve next week of Secretary Elaine Chow, as well as uh, President Trump and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, getting together behind the scenes to discuss infrastructure. Now, I don't think really anybody believes that there's going to be a major infrastructure package on during this Democratic primary space, especially when arguably one of the former Vice President Biden's key ideas will be infrastructure. No, Kristen? Well, I, I, I think that the, I'm not sure something is going to get done. But if there is, if there is one area 
that I think that the House and the Senate could work with this White House is on in the next year, it's infrastructure. Well, what, on a package? On a, on a major economic stimulus package? If not that, then you can break it up into pieces. But I have to tell you, a lot of these 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 members that won and these Democratic, these centrist Democrats, for the most of the caucus um, that, that gave the House back to the to the Democrats, excuse me, they they are the ones who need to deliver for their constituents. And infrastructure is something that they a lot of them talked about. So they have an incentive to work with the White House. They want to. Yeah, I, I, the challenge is it's very hard in Washington to get big things done anyways. But it's certainly hard when you have divided government. There's a reason. And when the opposition party saying that they're debating whether or not to impeach the president. Exactly. There, there's a reason that it took a Republican Congress to pass tax reform. There's a reason that it took a Democratic Congress to pass Obamacare. Um, and then you then you put in Donald Trump, who some days wants to be the great deal maker, the next day may not, because he's name calling. I think it's it's a very tall order that maybe should have been tried two years ago, but at this point. Very hard. Well, and I agree. I mean, when you said ACA, we had um, the Democrats controlled everything. Same thing with tax reform. Um, but I think that there are small incremental things that actually can get done that are getting done. I mean, you look at the prison reform, and that was actually a mm-hmm. huge deal. Um, and that's where Dick Durbin, one of the most liberal members in the leadership and the Senate side, worked with Jared Kushner and went down to the floor and praised him for his work on, on prison reform. So I, I, I am as skeptical as you are, believe and, me, but, but there, are, there are incremental things. And you've got a new website where folks can follow some of those more policy areas. What is it? Yep, thewellnews.com, just where business kind of intersects with Congress. All right, coming up, we talk trade policy. Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe is set to be at the White House tomorrow. This is China's President Xi Jinping makes an economic pitch of his own back in Beijing. You can download the sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Panel stays, Kristen Hahn, Doug High. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Born to run. No, not Beto O'Rourke, former Vice President Joe Biden. He's hoping that the third time's the charm. He formally announced that he is entering into your mics are on panel, entering into the uh, entering into the 2020 presidential race. Our panel always they're they're still talking politics. Doug High is a Republican strategist, former RNC communications director and former Deputy Chief of Staff to Eric Cantor. Kristen Hahn is a Democratic strategist, a senior advisor at Rock Solutions, the former Blue Dog Coalition communications director. We were talking about uh, Senator Bernie Sanders and the contrast between former Vice President Joe Biden, his rollout, and all of that. But I do want to bring it back to policy for a minute because tomorrow President Donald Trump is set to meet with Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. They are going to be talking about trade. They're going to be talking about national security. And it all comes in the midst of intensifying trade talks on multiple fronts for the United States, the U.S. and China, of course. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, as well as U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer, they're headed over to China next week to meet with Vice Premier Lehua. Uh, in fact, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin was supposed to be at Milken but he bailed. He didn't bail. He just, you know, pulled out because the trade talks with uh, with China are 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 quickly intensifying. So, Doug High, when you look at the trade talks and how they are going, 
What specifically do you think the administration is ultimately going to try to get out of the Japanese tomorrow? Uh, it's, it's hard to say because this is one of those areas where the administration isn't entirely predictable. Their rhetoric is often predictable, um, not so much on the Japanese as, say, the Chinese, but they, there's a tough talk that sometimes gets followed through, sometimes doesn't get followed through. And you know, Trump does employ this kind of chaos theory, madman theory of keep people guessing, which I don't always necessarily disagree with, but it's hard to determine where there's a strategy and where, where there's not. It's really hard to make firm predictions here. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, the prime minister is going to be talking about, you know, he's he's concerned about this increasing protectionism, you know, isolationism that's, that's kind of not just in the United States but all across um, – in countries across the world. So, you know, like Doug said, he's he's unpredictable. Um, I don't I don't think, you know, I, I'm not ever sure if they – does the president ever go into these these conversations with a with a clear intent and in what they want out of the – at the end? I'm just not sure that's ever the case. Well, yeah, and we're also – we've got politics coming up here, which is going to be very important to Trump, you know, as he's, mm-hmm. as he's talked a tough game. Um, and and I, I would say, again, put, put some tough tactics in place, especially with China. You know, that resonates with the base. It resonates in certain part of the, countries, of the country. Unfortunately, tariffs don't. But he hasn't made President Xi Jinping a, a boogeyman. I mean, he's, he's literally tried to make Speaker Pelosi more of a, mm-hmm. of, of a political boogeyman than, than President Xi. Sure. Um, but what I'm what I'm talking about is just how he and, and you know, he says it in a certain way, too. He doesn't just yeah. say Chinese. He says China. China. Yeah. Um, China. As if you you hear yeah. the word China and then you, you immediately, you know, get it. And, and certainly on the Republican side, you're not going to go wrong being too tough on on China, regardless of whether you're playing a carrot and stick game with the country vis-a-vis the leader. But the politics of this and, and how um, how tariffs are going to really begin and have begun impacting the Trump voters who support him to be tough on China and are now facing um, the repercussions of it. it that's, a, that's a strange place for this administration to it's be. It's such a good point, and it's one that really taps into the populist debate that's being had right now. My colleague David Weiner has a great story up on the Bloomberg Terminal. He went to the conference uh, at the uh, St. Regis Hotel in Manhattan. Great hotel, by the nice way. Nice hotel, yes. Uh, nice hotel. Right by Trump Tower, actually, as well. Uh, and guess who was at this conference? Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon mm-hmm. was at this conference. Steve Bannon at the conference Thursday at Saint at, at the Saint Regis in Manhattan, uh, and he says, "quote To your point, Doug, quote Corporate America is the lobbying arm for the Chinese Communist Party, and Wall Street is the investor relations department. I think we got to walk away from this right now. We got to start playing hardball. Smash mouth. Wow. So Steve Bannon is essentially saying, "Hey, go tough on." Uh, Go tough on China. Listen to Peter Navarro, President Trump, and don't listen to Secretary Mnuchin. But to Doug's point, Kristen, about how uh, the tariffs, the business community is so anti-tariff. President Trump says he's tariff man. Steve Bannon likes that he's tariff man. I mean, this is a very interesting predicament it, that the it, president finds himself in. It is. And, you know, to begin with, trade really didn't ever it, – it's, it's more fall down on regional lines, you know, not yes. than political lines, you mm. know, and that's always the way it's been. So, you know, he comes in just like everything else and mixes it all up. Um, and so you've got the, you know, the business community um, in their, in their you know, interests. Uh, but then you've also got the politics. And like Doug said, I mean, we're, gonna, we're about to go into a, a major election – 
and and there are farmers out there that are hurting right now. Yeah, and if if you look at commodities, corn is up today, soybeans are up today. Um, these are massively important commodities that um, that generate a lot of money. Um, and every, relatively speaking, every corn farmer in Iowa, every soybean farmer in Iowa, or from North Carolina, sweet potato farmer, um, by and large supports Donald Trump. What they don't support is their pocketbook getting hit. And they've gotten hit a little bit. It hasn't been too bad yet. Um, mm-hmm. But that's where they're nervous. They want to support this president. They love tough talk on China. They don't think China's been fair. Or you could talk about autos, you know, and, and Mexico Steel. and so forth. Um, but it's then the impact that they feel. And let's that's take the it challenge. To, let's take it to mm-hmm. autos. I mean, and let's forecast this out a little bit. Do you think, I mean, the, the timeline in terms of the, the calendar is that President Xi and President Trump would have to have this one-off meeting before June if they're, if they're going to do it, which would mean that they would have to get to some type of an agreement in the coming weeks because the White House has signaled that they're not going to put President Trump in a situation where he storms out of a meeting with the, with the, <laughs> the leader of the, the other largest world economy of Ch- that is China. Uh, so do you think, yes or no to both, do you think that we get this agreement with China before June, Kristen? I, I think it's hard to say. I think that we're in a tough spot. He knows he's in a tough spot, which is why I think he hasn't been playing hard, you know, hardball. Doug? I, I think Trump wants a good picture, a picture of yeah. a handshake and smiles. A deal is a, is a different issue. Do you think that Congress rat- – same question. Do you think Congress ratifies USMCA, NAFTA 2.0? Kristen? I think so. You do? You, know, you, you think Democrats think are going to get support. on board? You think I, th- I think the vote? there are enough Democrats that get on board. And that could be the rare bipartisan moment for this Congress working yep. with the White House, Doug? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So did you see this? Because this is another forecast that has been delayed as a result of the election, uh, which is the president is pushing offshore oil expansion to after 2020. The Trump administration is delaying its bid to expand oil drilling to new U.S. waters until after the 2020 election. Wow. I think that's kind of a big deal, Doug. It is. Look, it, it's, it's Obamacare, you know, just another version of it. Of Wow. We think this is a great idea. We know it's not popular, so the effects won't really be done until after the election. And then you have the fact that Rick Scott has a massive, massive voice in this, both as, as uh, you know, former governor, now senator of um, Florida. Administration. Florida might be important to the election. Is just it? Maybe. Is it a little bit? It's a little bit? It's a little bit. All right. So what else is on your radar? We've got uh, in terms of the congressional landscape. I mean, there's there's the ever-evolving debate over Medicare for all. But but what I'll say is that if you – It's going if nowhere. You, but, it, but it's going nowhere. But if you drill down on this debate just a little bit more, you're looking at bills – like Medicare X, Medicare buy-in. These are, these are very real things, um, particularly in the House, and I think that they have very real impacts on business across the board in the healthcare industry. Yeah, look, I agree with, I agree with Kristen. Those are things that can pass the House. They die in the Senate. Mm-hmm. So where... Not Medicare for all. That can't pass the House. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like the, when you're talking yeah, the smaller bills, yeah, yeah, they yeah. go nowhere in the Senate. Yeah, yeah. But do you, think that, like, like, do you think that the megaphone of the 2020 presidential race is, is just really going to, like, kind of make this even more political t- toxicity for any Republican to really emerge as sort of a consensus leader? Oh, sure. Sure. But I, but I think also when you're looking at members, not the presidential, but the, the members in the House and Senate who have to go a little bit more local in their races if they want to win, um, you know, they are looking for bipartisan wins, a lot of them are. So there are things that they can do here and there. I do agree that, you know, yeah. what, what did Mitch McCall say he was going to be? Uh, 
the Darth Vader or whatever, oh, anything yes. that came over there, it was, he yes. was going to... Of, of all socialist bills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, and I mean, that's that's what he was no, talking I, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, ultimately, the green there's all, we also need to be mindful it happens this year or it doesn't happen for two years. There's nothing of any substance that's right. going to get done in Washington in a presidential election year, especially one that is Donald Trump versus Pick your cast of characters where that's WrestleMania. And it's a re- WrestleMania. Wow. You know what? Well, that happened, as a kid, you know? I remember that's that a as South a kid. Park episode or You know, something. wow. I remember WrestleMania. <laughs> it is recess. I hope folks are, folks are enjoying their recess. I was talking with a former aide in the White House who got out of the uh, of WrestleMania in the White House, if you want to call it that. And he said to me, I, got, I had to get my tux fixed because he's going to the White House Correspondence Center now that he's allowed to go since he doesn't work within the White House anymore now that he has left the administration because the Trump administration yeah. so has they said not allowed no, to go. They're not allowed to go. How ironic, though, the more they talk about fake news, the more they want to go to those dinners. Uh, we'll leave it there. Panel, <laughs> thank you so much. Doug High, Kristen Hahn, appreciate it. That's it for me. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.